the King above all other kings. Good morning. <laughs> I forgot my glasses had to drive home right before the service, so I feel discombobulated. So now I'm recombobulating uh, as we speak. Hey, uh, John, would you shut that door over there when you go out? That way the um, noise from the kids won't distract us. Hey, uh, we've been preaching through Ephesians now, you know, for quite a while, and we've spent, gosh, like this is our fifth sermon from Ephesians chapter five, and I typed up this little uh, outline letter that we sent out this week, kind of talking about some of the things we've learned. Um, so if you didn't grab it on the way in, be sure to grab it on the way out, because I think this will help you understand what I'm saying. And basically what I'm saying is just believe the stuff in Ephesians and it will rock your world, okay? So anyway, be sure to uh, grab one of these on the way out if, if you don't have one. Let, let's pray. <clears throat> Father, um, <laughs> you're so good. You, you really are so good, just beyond anything that we can really even begin to conceive. And Father, at times I think I begin to see it with my mind and my heart is just overwhelmed and, and thinking, well, can I really, can I believe this? God, would you give us courage through the power of your Holy Spirit to believe your word, to believe Jesus, and to believe what he's accomplished, and to believe what you're doing with us, even if we can't understand all the pieces. Lord God, um, you destined us to live to the praise of your glory, and we will. And I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 4. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which don't fit. But instead, let there be self-discipline, accountability groups, and shame. No, it didn't really say that, did it? Okay, so, um, not, nor crude joking, but instead let there be thanksgiving, Eucharistia. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, and you know, in Romans, Paul makes it clear that all sin is idolatry. Idolatry is praising a created thing like yourself in, in place of God. You may be sure of this, that everyone who is an idolater has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness. You were, you were darkness. You were, dar you were sons of dis disobedience. You know, wrath upon darkness is what? Remember? A couple weeks ago? Light, yeah. And wrath upon disobedience is the mercy of God. For God has consigned all to disobedience in order that he may have mercy on all. Romans eleven thirty two. 32, then twelve twenty. he tells us, Paul tells us to be merciful on our enemies because in so doing, we heap burning coals on their heads. So verse eight, at one time, you were darkness. Darkness is not a substance, right? It's an absence. It's not a something, it's a nothing. Darkness is the absence of light. 
and God is light. Like a lie is the absence of truth, and Jesus is the truth. Like death is the absence of life, and Paul writes, the spirit is life. Verse eight, at one time you were darkness, but now, now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all, or consists in all that is good and right and true, and discover what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shame even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. He will epiphany you. He will literally enlighten you. Look well then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Redeeming the time, literally. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Last time we said that to redeem the time is to surrender your time, your space and time to the Redeemer. Julian of Norwich wrote, his love will never allow our time to be lost. Jesus fills time with himself, and he is the will of the Lord. Verse 17, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what, or this can also be translated who, understand who the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Do you know that faith, hope, and love in us are Christ in us? That is the will of the Lord in us, the decision of God in us, the judgment of God in us, Christ Jesus rising within us. When we cry, Abba, Father, writes Paul, it is Christ himself bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God and of children then heirs. And he also wrote that we become one spirit with him, with Christ. Be filled with the spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks, Eucharistio, giving thanks, Thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord uh, Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, giving thanks at all times and for all things. At all times and, and, and for all things. You know, most commentators just gloss over that verse as if Paul was smoking crack or something. Because like, they're like, seriously? All, all, all th- things, all, all times, that, that's, that's crazy. In the fourth century AD, St. John Chrysostom, Archbishop of uh, Constantinople, who read Ephesians in his uh, native language, he, he preached that, that Paul meant that we should thank God even for hell. For hell. At all times and for all things. Well, should an alcoholic thank God for alcohol? Should a man who struggles with lust thank God for naked ladies? Should a woman who struggles with greed thank God for houses and shoes and and, and money? Verse four, Paul wrote, instead of crude joking, let there be thanksgiving. Maybe he meant instead of crude joking about a thing, let there be thanksgiving for the thing. At the Last Supper, Jesus said, as often as you drink, this cup is added by the translator. He said this, as often as you drink, do it in remembrance 
of me. I mean, and may, maybe he didn't just mean uh, as often as you drink this cup of wine, but as often as you drink any cup of wine. Do it in, in remembrance of me. And, and check this out. Did you, did you know that God, guys, did you, God made naked ladies? Did you know that? It's true. And God created all the stuff used to make shoes and houses and money, including the people that make the shoes and the houses and the money. Listen to Paul in 1 Timothy 4, 4 through 5. For everything created by God is good. Did you hear that? And now listen to Ephesians 4, 8. Paul just told us uh, that God is the creator of all things. That's huge. He's the creator of, of everything. So anything else must be a no thing and definitely not a good thing. For God creates all things good. So evil must be a no thing, a nothing, and uncreated, like a shadow. Remember our sermon on the shadow a few, a few weeks ago? Uh, like that. Well, anyway, Paul writes this. For everything created by God is good. And now check this out. Everything created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected. No thing is to be rejected. If, if, if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Everything is made holy by the word of God. And remember, God made all things with his word. So all things are a gift of grace made by God through his word. All things are a gift of grace. And if all things are grace, you cannot earn anything <laughs> because everything is free. And besides, what could you earn it with? I mean, you didn't make you, did you? Did you make you? You didn't create yourself. And so everything is, is made holy by, by the word of God and prayer, writes Paul. Everything is made holy by the word of God and What kind of prayer? Well, I guess thanksgiving. God makes it, and we thank him for it, and that's the way it's supposed to be. And so sin must be messing up that relationship like a lie or, or illusion about that relationship of, of grace. As if we were our own creators and could therefore bargain with God and you know like merit things from God. You owe me this to me, God. You owe that to me, God. Remember Eve was tempted by who? By, by the father of lies. Tempted to take the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil think that's the law, tempted to take the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in order to create herself in the image of God as if she were her own creator who could accomplish her own creation or perhaps her own desecration. As if she were not entirely, utterly dependent upon grace. Karl Barth wrote this. To say it briefly, that action of man's is good in which man is thankful for God's grace. Nothing else. No, nothing else. That deed of man's is evil in which man openly or in secret because of anxiety or pride is unthankful. That is what is evil, nothing else. No, nothing else. For everything which is evil, from Adam to our own day, from the great horrors of world history, down to the little lies and acts of unfriendliness with which we have mutually poisoned our lives, spring from human hate 
of God's grace. We hate God's grace. Which means we hate being created. Which means we construct an illusion, a shadow self, a false self, the me that I think I create. But, but, but if I thank God for all things, including me, well, it shatters the illusion that I create me. In fact, it shatters all illusion. Maybe another way to say it is this. All sin is idolatry. It's worshiping a created thing in place of the creator. And the greatest idol of, of all my idols, I would suspect, is me, myself, my will, my supposed free will. But what happens when I thank God for things? You know, when I truly, when I truly thank God for wine, well, I would suspect I would no longer want to be drunk with wine, but filled with God's spirit. When I truly thank God for a beautiful woman, my heart remembers that she's not mine to possess or own. And when I thank God for all things, my heart realizes that I own nothing and deserve nothing and absolutely everything, everything, everything is a gift. And when I thank God truly, when I truly thank God for myself, I necessarily stop idolizing myself. Because I just thanked another self for, for myself. I stop idolizing myself. And when I stop idolizing me, I'm free of the prison that is me. My old man, my shadow self, my arrogance, my insecurity, all my fears and all my, all my pride. I'm no longer a greedy, whoremongering drunk, nor a self-righteous Pharisee. What I am I? I I'm, I'm, like, well, I'm like a little child at, at play in his father's garden. So maybe we really should thank God always and for everything. Because everything is created by God. And all that God creates, everything God creates is, is good. So check this out. It wasn't the fruit from the tree that was evil. God made the tree. That knowledge was good. It wasn't the fruit that was evil, but faith in a lie that caused Adam and Eve to take the fruit. The faith in the lie was the evil. So maybe Paul really meant it, and we should thank God for everything. But what about the lie? What about faith in the lie? I mean, maybe we should thank God for the fruit of, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but should we thank God that Adam and Eve took it? In other words, should we thank God for sin? The medieval mystic Julian of Norwich wrote this after having received her vision. Oh, wretched sin, what are you? You are nothing. For I saw that God is all things. I saw nothing of you. And when I saw that God has made all things, I saw nothing of you. 
And when I say that God is in all things, I saw nothing of you. And when I saw that God does all things that are done, greater and lesser, I saw nothing of you. And when I saw our Lord Jesus sitting so gloriously in our souls and loving and liking and ruling and guiding all that he has made, I saw nothing of you. And so I am certain that you are nothing. And all those who love you and like you and follow you and choose you at the end, I'm certain that they shall be brought to nothing with you. God protect us all from you. Well, if in fact sin truly is nothing and we can only pretend to pay for sin with nothing, then when you think that you pay for your sins, you're actually paying for nothing with nothing, which is only more nothing. Or maybe, maybe you're kind of like turning nothing in, into something. I mean, you're giving power to the lie. In other words, in Paul's words, you're making a place for the devil. Romans 11.35, Paul, Paul wrote this on the wall right over there. I think this part's on the wall. Maybe it's right after this part. But anyway, he wrote this. Who has given a gift to God? Who has given a gift to God? And the verb can also be translated who has limited God or betrayed God. It's an Old Testament quote. Uh, who has given a gift to God that God might be repaid? In other words, who has entered into a business relationship with God? Paid God for something. You see, any payment is a lie. Trying to pay for a lie. When you try to pay for your sins, you're paying for nothing with nothing. But when God in Christ Jesus pays for your sins, he's paying for nothing with something. He's filling your nothing with something. And what is that something? Body broken and bloodshed. It's fruit from the tree of life where he makes you in his image. So check this out. In the place you tried to make yourself in his image, the tree of knowledge, in that very place God makes you in his own image, the tree of life. Paul says it. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, all the more, at a tree, in a garden, a tree that we call the cross. So sin may be nothing, but make no mistake, sin hurts God. Like a wound in God, like a wound in his side, where flesh and blood were taken from his side in order to make us, like, like a wound, like, like a wound in his side or a, a void in his being. And, and now I want to remind you of what we preached uh, last time. Remember this? Creation, or, or the Big Bang, was not an explosion of light in the dark, right? Because God is light. If God is light, it was an explosion of uh, dark in the light rather than light in, in the dark. It was an explosion of nothingness in the somethingness because he is I am and it was an explosion of I am not within the I am. It was an explosion of darkness and it was like a wound in God. And then God spoke light into the darkness. He spoke something into the nothing. 
Well, anyway, likewise, we also said this. The earth is really not light floating in the dark, right? It's really not somethingness floating in the nothingness, but more like nothingness floating in the, in the somethingness. Like the Bible says, the heavens are full of the glory of God and the earth is empty, empty as, as hell. And yet one day it will be full of something. Did you know that? That's what scripture says. It will be full of the glory of the Lord. Well, anyway, likewise, we think that we are full, but when we're full of ourselves, we're, we're empty. With pride, which is the lie that we make ourselves, with, with pride, we construct a false self, a shadow self, what Paul calls the old Adam or the old man. He writes, at one time, you were darkness. You see, my old man is constructed out of my judgments using knowledge, knowledge of good and evil called law, which we stole from the tree. My old man is constructed with disobedience and so consists of darkness and lies and death. Because what I have up there is, is the old man and he's constructed with my judgments, okay? And they're all in black using my knowledge called the law. He's constructed with disobedience and so consists of darkness, lies, and death. In other words, he's vain. He's futile. He's empty. But in the very place of, of shame, God is filling me with grace, his body broken and his blood shed. See, my new man is created with God's judgment. My old man is created with my own judgment. My new man is created with God's judgment, which is Jesus Christ and him crucified on the tree. My new man is created with God's mercy. Okay, so picture the old man was all black, okay? So when I say old man, you're gonna picture the one that was my judgments, but the new man is God's judgment. Um, instead of disobedience, there's mercy. Instead of darkness, there's light. Instead of lies, there's truth. Instead of death, there's life. Instead of emptiness, there's a fullness. Paul wrote, at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. My, my new man consists of light, truth, and life. He is full of faith, hope, and love. That is, he chooses the good in freedom in the image of God. In other words, he loves. And God is love. I can't make myself love. That's the lie. Isn't that surprising? I can't make myself love. Why? Well, God is love. When I think I can make myself love, I'm thinking I can make myself God. Do you see the lie of the evil one, of the snake in, in the garden? What's that tree of knowledge of good and evil? That's the law. He's saying, hey, take that fruit, take the law, and, and, and make yourself love. Well, the law is good, but the law can't make me love. Only love can make me love. Only God can make me in the image of God. Only God can make me part of his body. Only God can turn me into his bride. So anyway, my old man is sin, and my new man is grace. Same shape, but an entirely different substance. Do you see that? The old one's full of black stuff. The new one's full of red stuff. The blood, the life, of, the life of God. My old man is an illusion. My new man is reality. My old man is, is no thing, and my new man is God's thing. And Paul writes, thank God always and for everything. So, so back to our question. Should I thank God for sin? Well, thanking God for sin is the same as saying, thanks for nothing. Thanking God for evil, sin, and darkness is saying, thanks for nothing. 
And yet that nothing reveals something. Remember what we preached last time? God didn't create darkness, but he created space and time for darkness. God didn't create evil, but he created space and time for evil. God didn't create sin, but he created space and time for sin, just like he created space and time for me. God is filling all space and time with himself. God is filling me, my space, and and my time with himself. God is filling my old man with my new man. Now listen, I'm commanded to hate evil. And yet I can thank God for making space and time for evil. For in doing so, he made space and time for me that I might come to know evil and choose the good in freedom. That I might be made in the very image of God. And and so I hate the dark, and yet I can thank God for the dark. For it's in the dark that, that I come to see the light shining. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. I hate the nothing, and yet maybe I can thank God for the nothing, or at least space and time for nothing. For it's in the nothing that I witness the creation of of something. I, I hate sin, and yet maybe I can thank God that I've sinned. For it's in the place of sin that I come to know grace. It's in that place that I witness my own creation. It's in that place that I'm filled with body broken and blood shed. It's in that empty place that I'm filled with the great bridegroom himself. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. It's in the darkness of my space and time that the very glory of God is being eternally revealed. C.S. Lewis writes, all times are eternally present to God. Is it not at least possible that along some one line of his multidimensional eternity, he sees you forever in that moment of cowardice or insolence It may be that salvation consists not in the canceling of these eternal moments, but in the perfected humility that bears the shame forever, rejoicing in the occasion which it furnishes to God's compassion and glad that it should be common knowledge to the universe. Perhaps in in that eternal moment, St. Peter, he will forgive me if I'm wrong, forever denies his master. If so, it, it would indeed be true that the joys of heaven are for most of us in our present condition an acquired taste. Perhaps the lost are those who dare not go to such a public place. Do you see what he's saying? Maybe the absolute eternal ecstasy is forever singing amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me and you and Peter and Paul and Doubting Thomas, and Mary of Magdalene. Julian of Norwich writes this. God also showed me that sin is not shameful to man, but his glory. For in this revelation, my understanding was lifted up to heaven, and then there came truly into my mind David, Peter, Paul, Thomas of India, and the Magdalene, how they are famous in the church on earth with their sins as their glory. 
And it is no shame to them that they have sinned any more than it is in the bliss of heaven, for there the badge of their sin is changed into glory. Sin is the sharpest scourge that any chosen soul can be struck with. It is a scourge which lashes men and women so hard and batters them and destroys them so completely in their own eyes that they think they only deserve to sink down into hell. But when the touch of the Holy Spirit brings contrition, it turns the bitterness into hope of God's mercy. And so all shame will be turned into glory and into greater joy. And I am sure by what I feel myself that the more every well-natured soul sees this, the more they see this in, in the kind and generous love of God, the more loath that person is to sin. Brennan Manning writes this. Ponder these words of the Apostle Paul. The things which are done in secret are things that people are ashamed even to speak of but everything exposed by the light will be illuminated and anything illuminated turns into light, Ephesians 5. God not only forgives and forgets our shameful deeds, but even turns their darkness into light. All things work together for those who love God, even, St. Augustine of Hippo added, our sins. Remember in Luke 7, Jesus reveals to Simon the Pharisee, Simon, it's the one forgiven little that loves little. And you remember, love is fulfilling the whole law. Uh, but the one um, forgiven much, loves much. When we see that we're forgiven much, we, we, we love much. So, so, so maybe, yeah, maybe we must thank God for everything. And we can even thank God for, for nothing. Or at least space and time for nothing because it's there that God reveals the glory of his love. And that, my friends, is something. That is the something. God is love. And, and uh, when I thank him, when I thank him for that something, I'm no longer nothing, but I'm his something. I'm no longer darkness, but light. So in the place of the old temporal man, did you find that slide, the old temporal man? No? Okay, but that's the dark one. Okay, in the place of the old temporal man, God creates the new eternal man. That was the, the other one, okay? But right now, right now in, in space and time, I'm being created. So you see, now the other one, now the other one. This is my point. You see, right now in space and time as I experience, as I experience it, I'm, I'm part full. And, and I'm, I'm part empty. Everyone that's anyone, every bit of clay that has any breath of God, spirit of God in it at all, even if it's the size of the mustard seed at any time and any place, is partful and part empty. Now, some don't know who they are. They're lost. Apolumi is the word in Greek. It's also translated destroyed. Some have just learned who they are. They're called Christians. But all are partful and Part empty, part good and part bad, part sheep and part goat, part wheat and part chaff, part temporal darkness and part eternal light. And not just people. All space and all time as we experience it. And as Paul has taught us, God is filling all space and all time with himself. Jesus descended into the depths of the earth, writes Paul, and ascended far above the heavens in order that he might fill all things with himself, and he is the light 
of the world. So every space and every time is being filled with the word of God who is light and life and truth who is Jesus. That means every space at every time is Easter just waiting to happen. And every person you meet is in fact a front row ticket, a front row seat to the resurrection of the Christ. For as in Adam all die, writes Paul, so in Christ will all be made alive. So thank God for everyone you meet. And even as you thank God, you see Christ is rising in you and you are being made in his image. Salvation, quite simply, is just this. Agreeing with your own creation and the creation of all things. It's agreeing with the word of God, which is the judgment of God. Salvation, quite simply, is thanking God (laughs) always and for everything. For everything is grace. On the seventh day, in the new and finished and eternal creation, it's right there in the first chapter of the Bible, the start of chapter two. Everything is good. Everyone sees that everything is grace, because that's good. You see, salvation is faith in grace. So thank God for everything, and, and maybe even the nothing, at least the space and, and time for nothing. You know, when I was a kid, we had this encyclopedia um, in, in our family room called the World Book Encyclopedia. And my very favorite entry had to do with human anatomy. That makes some sense because I'm a boy and everything. But, but also for, for, for another reason, and that was that that entry had these cool cellophane pages. And maybe you remember something like this. And you remember that? I see the nods. You turn the, you turn the cellophane pages over, and so at first you see a skeleton, right? And then you turn another page over, and the circulatory system appears on the skeleton or, or the nervous system, the brain, the eyes, or whatever. You turn another page, and perhaps the circulatory system appears. Uh, you see a heart and veins and stuff. Then you turn a, another page and, and you see the digestive system and then the muscle tissue and finally the skin. In other words, you see a person being created or constructed in space and time as you turn the pages. And you see that every empty space in the semi-created person becomes a full and meaningful space in the completed person, a full and meaningful space in, in time. And you see, God is creating us in space and time. Reminds me of this clip from this sci-fi movie, The Fifth Element. Have you seen The, F- the Fifth Element? They're, at this one scene, they're reconstructing an alien body from a bit of DNA in a severed hand in, in, a, in a glove. And as they reconstruct it, we see bones, then tissue, and so we wonder, as they wonder, is it a monster?
reconstruction complete. Remove the shield. And we'll stop right there. Because it's not a monster. It's Mila, 19-year-old Mila Jovovich in her birthday suit. More beauty than most fallen guys can, can handle at the, at the moment. Well, you see, God is creating us in space and time. So every nothing will be filled with his something. The body and blood of Christ. And then we will be clothed in Christ, the righteousness of Christ. And so anyway, if you're walking down the street one day and you see one of these, well, what does that mean? And should you give thanks? Let's suppose you're in a dark room somewhere and you see one of these. God, is that a monster? Should you thank God for that? Well, it entirely depends on which way the Lord of space and time is turning the pages, right? Are you the Lord of space and, and time? What is the Lord of, of space and time doing? What is he creating? He said, let us make man, male and female, in our own image. And he's good, and everything he makes is good. Perhaps every monster, you see, then, is, is a person being created. What if you saw one of these? You know, someone who has bones and muscle and, and skin but a serious, serious lack of faith, hope, and love. Someone that's incomplete. In other words, someone that's a sinner. Someone like Saul of Tarsus, chief of sinners and child of wrath, a son of disobedience, dead in his trespasses and sins, even persecuting the children of God, dragging them off to their death, and hating the Christ and the very spirit of Christ. What is a person like this? What are they? Which way are, are the pages turning? I mean, should you give thanks always and for everything? Should you give thanks for every space and every time? And now you might want to close your eyes for this next picture. Should you give thanks for this? You see, giving thanks isn't as easy as it sounds at first. I mean, it takes incredible faith in the power and the wonder of grace. And nothing is as offensive to human pride as, as grace, God's grace. So should you give thanks for this? I do know this. You should hate this because it's evil. It's evil, and Scripture commands us to hate what is evil. This is a corner of hell, and you should hate it. Hate what is evil, says Scripture. And yet, yet it can only be evil because evil has infected something good. Do you know what this is? This is the house of Israel, the chosen people of God. This is the valley of dry bones. And now listen to the word of God, Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 11. Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. 
Behold, they say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. Our hope is lost. We are indeed clean cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves, and I raise you from your graves, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. When those dry bones live, And those people are filled with the spirit of the Son of Man and they walk into the new Jerusalem and even become the new Jerusalem, the very bride of Christ, far more glorious than 19-year-old Mila Jovovich in her birthday suit. Uh, When that happens, do you think that they will thank God for having walked through the valley of the shadow of death? Will they thank God that they know evil but will now forever endlessly choose the good so that they may forever surrender to the good, so that they may forever commune with the good who is the great bridegroom in endless ecstasy? Will they thank God? Well, this next picture is a depiction of a far, far, far greater evil than the last picture. Should we thank God for this? What is this? This is a picture of the greatest evil ever perpetrated on the face of planet Earth, and it was perpetrated by you. You know, when we sing thank you for the cross, Lord, We're singing, thank you, Lord, for the space and time in which the children of Adam took your life by nailing it to a tree in a garden. Thank you for the instrument of death with which we tortured and murdered you. Thank you that with it we send you to hell bearing all of our sin, the sin of a whole world, the sin of humanity, bearing our empty illusion that we create ourselves, bearing the cost of creating us in the image of love. Thank you. Thank you for your body broken that we eat and your blood shed that we drink. Thank you for delivering up your spirit that descends into our dark hearts crying, Abba, Father. Thank you that at your tree it is finished and that we are completed, that 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 we die with you and rise with you. Understand? Understand that I'm not saying this to make you feel bad. I'm saying this to kill you. To kill that prideful, old, self-centered, arrogant, frightened, anxious old man. To kill you and set you free that you might say, thank you. And actually mean it. Salvation, quite simply, is thanking God. Always and for everything, in and through Christ Jesus our Lord. For the absolutely worst event in human history, the day we tried to take God's life on a tree became the absolutely best event in human history, the day God gave us his life on the tree. 
In the words of St. Paul, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Julian of Norwich wrote this, that she heard the Lord say this, since I have turned the greatest possible harm into good, it is my will that you should know from this that I shall turn all lesser evil into good. In other words, he will fill all darkness with light, and he is light. And so Paul writes, giving thanks always, always and for everything, always and for everything. And St. Chrysostom adds, even hell. I know I wanted to tell you about an amazing experience that I had a year and a half ago. Told you kind of about one that happened over here in the basement, but this one was even before it over there in the, in the coal shirt. I, I wanted to tell you about it. An experience with some members of our prophetic team as we prophesied to dry bones. I wanted to, but we, but we don't have time. <laughs> and that may be on purpose because I'm not sure that you'd even believe me, but if you ask me sometime, I'll, I'll tell you. Suffice it to say that the gates of hell cannot prevail against Christ's church. And certainly not against Christ, who is the very word of God, who is the light of the world, who descends into the depths of the earth, who makes a way where there is no way. Why? Because he is the way. Who makes a door where there is no door. Why? Because he is the door. He's the light. And whatever is exposed to the light becomes light, and that even includes hell. Or, or maybe to be more precise, the, the Hebrew word sheol or the Greek word Hades. You see, there is no biblical equivalent for the English word hell. So, so when Chrysostom said, thank God, even for hell, he would have used the word Hades. Hades is in the depths of the earth. That's why I've been spending all this time showing you how the earth really is empty and the heavens are full. Hades is in the depths of the earth. Hades is temporal. That's why I've been telling you that, that, the, that the light is that light's eternal, but the darkness is, is temporal. Hades comes to an end and Jesus is the end. You see, Hades has no purpose and yet God has a purpose for Hades. And I think it's this that those who refuse the grace of God in Christ here would ultimately surrender to the grace of God in Christ there when they see the light shining in the darkness. Well, anyway, to refuse to thank God for his grace and everything is grace, to refuse to thank God for his grace is to trap yourself in lies and outer darkness it is to refuse your own creation. It is to make a place for the devil. And we'll talk about him more later, what he is or, or what he isn't. But in Ephesians 4.27, Paul literally said this. In the ESV, they translate as give no opportunity for the devil. This is what he literally says. Give no place to the devil. When we say that there is a group of people to whom God's mercy can never reach, for whom it can never work, an endless place where God's light can never shine, a place of endless torment where they will never, ever, ever, endlessly, uh, they will never give thanks, aren't we giving an absolutely immense place to the devil? Are we not living to the praise of the devil, the glory of the devil? 
I mean, perhaps we think it's our glory, you know, our choice, that we can resist God as long as we want to, but it's not our glory, that's the devil's glory, and the devil's glory is an illusion. He has no glory. To refuse to give thanks always and for everything is to preserve a place for nothing. And the devil inhabits the nothing. The Bible calls it the abyss. But to thank God always and for everything, well, that's to be saved. It is to have faith in grace. It is to the live, it is to, it's to live to the, for the praise of God's glory rather than your own glory. It's to be created in the image of God. It's to be filled with the Holy Spirit and come into agreement with the kingdom of heaven. And so let's just start thanking God always and for everything. And even for nothing, your nothing. Maybe even for your nothing, because it's there that God reveals his something. Christ in you. And that's pretty good news. So just close your eyes and pray. I mean, let this be therapy. Just give thanks to God for everything. If you've struggled with giving thanks to God in the past, you need to know this, that God created everything, and everything he created is good. So look around. Do you like pizza? Thank God for it. Thank God for your house. Thank God for where you live. Thank God for the shoes on your feet. Thank God that your heart is beating. Thank God for the people around you. Just thank right now. Just do it. Just start thanking God. You can do it quietly or out loud, okay? Just thank him. Thank you, Lord God, for my house. Thank you for my wife. Thank you for my anniversary. Thank you for the sanctuary. Thank you for this day. Thank him. Are you thanking him? Are you thanking him? Thank him. Thank him for everything. And now I think you can even thank God for your nothing. I think Paul said it this way. I will all the more gladly boast of my weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So are you an alcoholic? Or maybe I should say, do you struggle with alcoholism? You see, I think you can thank God for that. Oh, because the wine of the kingdom is going to taste especially sweet to you. Do you struggle with lust? I mean, I think you can thank God for the struggle because, you see, it's in that place that God is going to teach you his love. Do you struggle with greed? Well, you see, I, I, think, I think you can thank God for, for that struggle and, and then for all things. And, and one day you'll realize you don't own all things, but all things are yours by grace. And so thank God. Always. And for everything. And on that darkest night, in the darkest place, the light of the world took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Eat it. I give it to you. What you take, I give. I give it to you. I forgive it to you. Before you took it, I gave it. 
eat it. And in the same manner, after supper, he he took the cup. Having given thanks, he took the cup. Did you ever catch that? He gave thanks for this. He gave thanks, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink, do it in remembrance of me, thanking me. And so he calls you to come to his tree. He calls you to come to his table. He calls you to come and see that he's good, that you might forever thank him, that you might forever surrender to him, that you might forever enjoy him. In other words, that you might forever believe the good news. And it really is good. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we worship, come forward, tear off a piece of the bread, dip it, in the cup and put the light in the darkness and keep worshiping and never stop. Amen. And what's his name? Jesus. And do you remember what Jesus means? God is salvation. The name that is exalted above every name, including God, is not salvation. God is salvation. And so, church, the gates of hell cannot prevail against you when you shout his name into the darkness. That's how he destroys the work of the devil, through you, praising him. And that's, you see, this is just such good news. Because I know when we say, like, at the start of the service, praise the Lord. If you're like me, you're like, well, I don't feel like praising the Lord. <laughs> you know? And, uh, but see, when you, we, we take it as a law, right? We take it as a law. But do you realize that your entire life is the story of looking something for, that's worthy of your praise? You do it all the time. So if you go out for pizza after church, you're hoping that it's really good because for a moment you say, that pizza was awesome. And for a moment you praise the pizza, you lose yourself and you find yourself, right? Uh, You get married and the day you see your bride coming down the aisle, you think to yourself, oh, she's gorgeous. You praise her. And for a moment you lose yourself and, and, and you find yourself. And uh, when we keep looking, we keep looking, and we sometimes we even praise ourselves, right? And so we try to lose ourselves by praising ourselves, which just doesn't work all that well. But you see, in the end, you'll see that he is worthy of all praise. And that's not bad news. That's incredibly good news. Because you were made to praise his name forever. You were made to live for the praise of his glory. When you praise him, that is when you are most truly alive. So you see, God's not up there like all insecure going, you better praise me. No, it's the greatest gift he could give you. His spirit flowing from his throne back to you as praise. And so as you leave this place, don't stop making melody to the Lord in your heart. Because when you stop making melody to the Lord in your heart, you make a place for nothing.
and the devil inhabits nothing. Give no place to the devil. In Jesus' name, believe the gospel. Amen.